Welcome to the Code of Traditional Archery, brought to you by Primitive Stone Archery and the founder, Grant Richardson. Welcome to the Code of Traditional Archery. My name is Grant Richardson, and I am your host. I am the owner and founder of Primitive Stone Archery and the Archer's Trinity Shooting Method. This is our fourth podcast in our Lessons Learned series, and today's topic will be traditional bow hunting for wild turkey. Over the course of the past 20 years or so, I've been lucky enough to pursue eastern wild turkey with a stick bow here in Ontario, and during those times have been reasonably successful in doing so. Both our spring and fall seasons have provided what I believe to be some of the most challenging hunting I have ever done, and in some cases, more so than chasing whitetails with traditional bows. I'm often asked if I get any by other hunters, which at times has been followed by smart intonation or sarcasm. I often feel for that person who hasn't experienced trying to stalk a tom or even draw on one as it struts into bow range without being seen and connect with one of these regal birds. From the moment the hen turkey lays an egg, incubates them, and they hatch, just about every damn thing in the woods is trying to eat them. That they survive at all after the first few months is a testament to their wariness and their endurance. I pursued and called them from hub lines behind makeshift deadfalls to still hunting and stalking them, finding them in the fall with a pointing dog, busting them and recalling them. They can make a hunt seem easy one day and then turn around the next and make you feel like you're insane for even thinking of trying to hunt them. At times running in with a band into a decoy setup, then scorning your attempts the next. They will test your shooting abilities with a vital area roughly the size of a tennis ball combined with avian motion and body mechanics and can run and fly like a ninja out of a sunny Chiba movie. There one moment and poof, gone the next. They will have you getting up at 3 a.m. to make the fly down only to stand you up on the planned date and spin you around, gobbling back to you and never show up after playing their version of Marco Polo for hours. It took some trial and error to connect with one of these birds. Many showdowns, standoffs, close encounters, until finally, one day of hard work, Lady Luck shined our eyes and rays on my efforts. The spring weather had turned unseasonably warm as my truck turned down the long gravel lane that led to the farm. I watched as killdeer scampered ahead of me, piping and twittering into the edges of the gravel with their trademark worried cries. Taking care to avoid them, I stopped and watched the female thrust out a wing and pretend to hobble away from me, and I spied four of her model eggs sitting in a few feet of gravel off the berm, acting like some sort of shield wall for her barren nest, really nothing more than pebbles and gravel. I've been hunting the back end of the farm now for two years, and it at times had been a fumbling comedy of errors and close encounters. The farm was surrounded by two large cornfields, split almost into three, covering well over 300 acres of land, bordered at the back by a small valley with an old glacial river, now nothing more than a large stream, surrounded by oak ridges, mature white pine, and spruce trees. There were lots of birds. The small river valley was one large roost, and on any given morning, one could hear up to a dozen toms sounding off up and down the old irrigation system, like some early morning orchestra that had become unhinged. It was, by any account, an ideal habitat for wild turkeys. Mixed hardwood windbreaks, really a study in turkey biology, mature oak stands, 
surrounded by historic cornfields and prime roosting areas nestled above and on either side by two streams and a river cutting the property in two. The landowner had several issues with trespassers due to the sheer amount of birds in this area. And on one of the last hunt the year prior, I'd helped him secure a fence that had been run over. Finally, catching his quarter horse mare that had run off after the fence had been flattened. It had taken me almost five years to gain access to the property. I'd known the owner for some time, and he knew I hunted and had from time to time asked for advice about varmints and such, and as fate would have it, he invited me out to check out some coyot activity he'd been having. I pulled in that day in early spring. As we walked over to check out some fresh tracks, he noticed my bouquet sitting in the back seat of the truck. I opened the door and drew the 62-inch rosewood reeker from its case, paused and strung the bow for him to see it braced. He immediately connected, regaling me with stories of his Boy Scout days and archery at his high school as a youth, filling the next several minutes with memories. More so, he was stunned that I hunted with it for deer, turkey, and moose. By the end of the conversation, the topic of turkeys had come around, and I was invited to check out his farm, provided I used the bull solely. I began to walk down the path to the old rusted Stelco fence that led to the farm lane I needed to traverse to begin the 20-minute walk back to where I'd hoped the weekend prior to catch a tom coming off the roost with my 12-year-old son in tow. It had been a luckless day, I thought, as the gate swung open, creaking and whining like a drawbridge from an old Alfred Hitchcock radio show. We'd heard plenty of birds that day together, and he'd even had a tom sneak in at one point directly behind us and let off a tremendous ode to our lone hen decoy for almost 30 minutes, right behind the brush pile we were sitting in, before returning the way he had come, with no shot presentation. After several practice shots near the edge of the farm lane, at groups of small, worn gray cedar fence post billets with some judo points I had, and satisfied my eyes were warmed up, I checked my watch and was off. I latched the gate as quietly as I could, sat down, checked my bow and pack, and walked over the rickety plank bridge where the runoff stream flowed west, cutting across the 300-acre expanse of fields and fence lines. A pair of wood ducks jumped suddenly, squealing from their rest into the air, and beat skyward into the sunlight like a pair of flying rainbows out of sight. I stopped as I reached the old barn. It was barren and empty now, but its wooden and star odor reminded me of my youth, and I took a breath. I spied carefully around the edge into the first field. I was surprised, partly because I'd been daydreaming as on my way out there that day, into coming across a group of toms in the first field courting a hen behind the barn and making a stalk, getting a shot, and that would be it. It'd be over. There was nothing. However, just the barn swallows twittering their displeasure at my proximity to their nests as they dove at my location and chased down flies only a few feet from my head, twisting in the breeze. I took out my binoculars, an ancient pair of Carl Zeiss I'd had since I was very young, and using the old horse stall tie post as a brace, glassed the fields. This was not easy. The fields were far from flat and had many small berms and several small wadis in them. The birds loved this, however. Rain collected in them, providing a source of water, attracting insects, and pooling the old waste grain from the year prior. I was wary of this, that is, getting out too quickly. I'd once glassed for only a few minutes, seeing a tom, and stumbled across another one, resting in between one of the berms while trying to put a stalk on the other one a couple of berms away. I had time, I thought. It was mid-afternoon. It was sunny. 
I watched intently for several minutes before skirting the edge of the barn and onto the long grass bordering the first field by the fence. The barn was sort of a stepping off point for the hunt almost every time I was there, a starting gate, so to speak, more of a key point of entry to the game about to be afoot, and so much more than an old horse stable and hay barn. Heralded forth by the barn swallows intent on staying close to their wooded keep, I crouched down, walked to the edge of the first berm, and into the dried mud and soil next to the fence line. Turkey tracks were everywhere. Raptors, I thought, and chuckled at what my kids called them, reminding me of how they saw those tracks as dinosaur footprints and not present-day poultry. When I informed my youngest that, in fact, turkey shared a similar hip bone with velociraptors, she was less than impressed and stayed much closer the next few days we walked into the dark woods with Dad after turkeys. The tracks were solid and hardened into the mud from the rain the day prior, and it was if as though an entire turkey farm lived there. The turkey tracks littered the ground. There was prints everywhere. I came to a small breach in between the two fields and a connection point for the hardwoods that ran to the back of the property. This is where I wanted to be. I had planned this all week and had forgone decoys on this hunt, deciding to call from the edge of the entrance a split, a transition area where I'd seen birds coming and going frequently. I could see far enough to the back fence line and the first roost almost 300 yards away from my position, and it provided enough back cover to split up my outline. I sat down under a small, low-hanging honeysuckle bush that had blended into the old cedar post, its sweet, sickly smell wafting in the air. The rusted fence line creaked a little bit, and I adjusted my position, cradled my recurve across my lap, and knocked an arrow. The sun was high. Normally, I'd be waking up two hours prior to sunrise and rushing out the door to sneak in closer to the roost areas and hoping of catching a bird, but today, this is what I had to work with. The season closed in a week and be my last shot at notching a tag. After the bush in the spot I was sitting in settled down, I took out a diaphragm call and made a few soft clucks followed by a purr. A hen responded back immediately across the field and paraded herself out a short distance away as if to say, back off. She putted loudly in my direction and strutted back into the edge cover across the dry and cracked field a couple hundred yards away. I was watching the pair of wood ducks circling back to their afternoon roost I'd spooked them from when a motion to my left and up the fence line caught my eye. A jake stepped out, looking more like a large black garbage bag shining in the sunlight than a bird. His head was up and he was searching the field rapidly. I clucked at the bird, his head stuck up higher. He then abruptly stopped, disinterested, turned the way he'd been going, shook his wings out and strolled off slowly down the fence line picking at the ground as he went. Several minutes later, another jake entered the field. Then another, and soon five more jakes in a line were sneaking down the opposing fence line. The young birds, very frustrating, I thought, right where I wanted to sit initially in the morning when I couldn't make it out. I knew the path they were taking to the opposing field and low ridge they were on top of. I called to them. Though my attempts resulted in some short, raspy jake gobbles, they were not interested in heading my way but to the exact location where the hen had been sounding off earlier. Late season can be frustrating, and these feathered ninjas were not making it easy. I checked my watch, looked across the field, and that was it. Made the decision. I'm going to attempt to stalk. After a quick assessment, I knew if I tried to cut back the way I'd came and head them off by boxing them, they would see me as I hit the main entrance and hightail it out of the area. Trying to beat that many sets of eyes was just not going to happen. I opted to do the only thing I could, 
belly crawl my way across and try to cut them off as they entered the break, created by a half-down ancient maple tree that had fallen across the fence they were walking by years past. To where they were headed to the hen's location, an old clear-cut meadow. I had tried to hunt in the past. I figured if I cut them off there, I could set up an ambush. I began to crawl with my bow across the back of my forearm, slowly inching my way to a depression ahead of me. I'd stop, look for another piece of depression of ground, and inchworm forward. For the next 15 minutes, I crawled through the mud and dirt, trying to keep my eyes on the birds as best I could, scrabbling toward them at the same time. This took some time. My plan was to make it to the edge of the green stuff, hoping the birds would not see me as I snuck behind them in the tall grass. I would wait for them to cut downhill past me and set up a hasty ambush. I'd made it several yards, almost close to 70 or 80 at that point, without being seen by the birds, when a screeching cut the air in the direction where they headed. Another head had come out, and the hen was ripping with fighting purrs, putts, and cutting coming from the same direction. The jakes were now fully alert, heads straight up, and picked up speed, darting for the area. The fight was happening, like a group of school kids run to a yard fight at recess. I could not believe it. I just spent the better part of an hour crawling towards these birds to have it end suddenly. I made it to a break in the fence line and crept through the opposing side into the long waist-high grass bordering the back of the property. I knelt and tried to locate where the jakes had gone, only to see a swamp wren staring at me sternly from an elderly bush only a few feet away. Her tail peaked vertical, chastising my presence. I took a deep breath. That's when I heard it like a hive of bees to my left end and behind me, lower down the side of the ridge. Again, I heard the humming noise, and I came to my senses as if remembering some familiar musical note from my youth. I drew and knocked an arrow very slowly from my bow quiver. I tried looking over my left shoulder as slowly as I could. I'd been wearing minimal camel clothing that day, relying mostly on cover, and the older hoodie I had on had been touched up with permanent markers to try to bring some of the green back out in the faded camel cloth for better concealment. As I turned and looked over my shoulder, I slowly made out the tail fan of a strutting gobbler almost 60 yards away to my left side in the open meadow below me. He was just off to the side of an old apple tree that had been beset with insects at some point in its life, still clinging to a few bits of green in its old weary canopy. To my front, both hens had now entered the top of the ridge and were cutting up an awful noise. Three jakes were in tow, following them to the top end of the meadow, almost 80 yards or so below from where the tom was displaying boldly for the hens, as they continued their cacophony of fighting putts and purrs, taking false runs at each other, back and forth, as they entered the edges of the meadow. I turned back to focus on the tom. He had now seen four jakes enter the fray, and he'd stopped strutting and was craning his neck to see them better. He came to a half strut, gobbled loudly which the jakes returned as challenged and slowed their approach. By this time, I'd completely turned away from the hens and jakes and was solely riveted on the tom. By crawling on my knees through the grass, I cut the distance to him to less than around 50 yards. I was running out of cover. The grass was thinning out, and the shade provided by the old broken maple tree was fading as well. Now, at this point, I was determined to get a shot on that bird. I've been training routinely for months with all sorts of shot presentations, sitting, kneeling, crouched, severe cants of my bow, and I'd been shooting well. I had great confidence in the bow's ability to send that arrow where I was looking. But this, this was downhill at 
close to 40 to 50 yards. And I decided if I was to take a shot, his head would have to be up and it would be a headshot only. If I missed, I missed. If I connected, well, the bird was simply moving too much. He was alert and not relaxed and he was pretty fired up. To make it all the more problematic, I would have to try to come to full draw with some clearance for the limbs in the grass and not be seen by the other sets of eyes across the meadow while I drew. He was moving now to a low spot and as he walked to my front across the berm and down into the dip in the side of the ridge, his neck was craning to see the commotion across from him. A warning putt sounded from one of the hands behind me and to my right and I didn't bother to see if I was the cause. I rose slightly, fixating on the only part of the tom I could see his head and canting the bow for some ground clearance began to draw halfway to full draw. He moved and ran five to six feet quickly across my front in the direction of the other birds and stopped his head now exposed above the green grass, a stark contrast, the red and the green. I let down the draw and he stopped to look at one of the jakes that were closing the distance with him, with the other jakes running along as well to catch some of the action. That said, I thought, he's going to be gone. He's already had a beat down by them. I rose again and came to half draw, letting down a second time as he moved again and bobbed his head. Walking back to the berm of the apple tree near where he was sitting, he again craned his neck to look for the jakes who were now leading a collective section charge to the tom down the side of the ridge. Not too fast, but enough to intimidate him. I was still at live string at this point and once again began to draw, hit my anchor, and let the arrow go, never taking focus off his head. As the arrow reached him, he suddenly vanished into the scrub where he was standing. I stood slowly, the jakes scattering now as they and the hens sent warning clucks to every living creature around, and standing slowly straight up, saw feathers float up from the tom's last position, followed by several wing beats, then more feathers. They flowed upward, mingling with the upper branches of what was left of the old weathered apple tree, swirling into the forest beyond. I slowly approached, taking care not to trip in my excitement, took a deep breath, and as a precaution, knocked another vorpal-tipped shaft. There was no need as I approached. Kneeling, I admired his bold plumage, the iridescence, and marveled at the difficulty I'd just experienced, thankful the arrow had gone directly to where I had been looking. I sat down on the edge of the small berm, He'd been strutting across directly under the apple tree. I wondered how many times he'd done that and how many birds had used this apple tree for shelter. Across the top of what was left of the foliage, apple blossoms hung in the air and mixed with his feathers now swirling in the currents above me. Putting my back against the tree and laying my bow next to the tom, I sat for several minutes watching feathers rise through the old branches into the blue skies that had set the entire scene to unfold. Hey, I'm telling you, that was a great first for me. This was years ago now, but it still shines in my mind as a perfect example of the difficulty of hunting with a stick and string. It is within this process, as I have said before, where shooter meets hunter. And yes, make no mistake about it, there is a difference. That hunt confirmed with me the need for a dynamic shooting practice, training, tactics, and strategy that proved critical under pressure. They were the vehicle for success. That year, I'd been training weekly for countering some of the awkward stalking positions I'd found myself in prior chasing these birds. That shot is one of the farthest I've ever taken on game, the only other being a moose that was already hit that I was pursuing, trying to track for another hunter that had given up. 
I get asked about my range restrictions quite a lot, and it varies depending on the species and land I'm hunting. When it comes to turkeys, I actually favor the head as a target first, unless the bird is very active and moving around, such as avian species tend to. And in that case, I will shoot for the vitals, but it really comes down to what shot the bird gives me. I do tend to be very picky when it comes to shot presentation on a turkey. Vital is smaller, and they do move around a lot and are very fast on their feet reacting to motion. I typically use a combination of flat-faced paper targets, 3D targets, and tennis balls, approximate to a turkey's vitals, and will never shoot from the same position using the one arrow at a time principle we teach in the Arches Trinity shooting method for instinctive shooting. I do not want my brain to get content, and once I make the shot, and the shot is successful, I want to challenge my eyes and brain to readjust from another angle and shoot at a different target instead of chasing that arrow that just went where I want it to go. Remember, I'm not trying to score points to get a grouping again. I'm not interested in tournaments. Foam does not move. At this point, I need to force the pressure onto my shot platform since there's no pressure. Like a live bird, or deer, or moose, or whatever you're pursuing. It's still sanitized practicing to an extent. And sanitized, I mean comfort. I have time. I'm in a controlled narrative in my training and shooting. I haven't been sitting for hours in the cold or hot weather or wind or rain or elements or with bulky clothing on or cramped conditions in a tree sling, a tree stand, whatever. Add pressure to your shooting. It will make you a better hunter. And in that process, the keyword process, you will synthesize the shooter and hunter into one. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great there's some popular folks that are pushing limits on targets. I have no problem with that. Well, that's great for targets. This is not about distance. Remember, foam doesn't move. You show me a guy that's hitting a foam target at 70, 80 yards, stationary, 3D, under sanitized conditions, with comfort and time, and I'll show you the same fella missing on a live animal or worse, wounding that animal at a distance under pressure. Remember, traditional hunting is self-competition, and that leads ultimately to self-knowledge. You will learn more by looking within than without through your own personal experiences than watching any canned hunting hero show. Find the foundation that fits you, the individual. The long game in this process, the hunting part, being able to get closer, the short game is shooting hunt ready. Thanks for listening. Hey, I appreciate the great feedback we received. Um, We're very excited to launch our new format coming soon our new membership platform, and our signature Hunt Ready series as part of Primitive Stone Archery and the Arches Training Shooting Method. We're in the final two weeks of our turkey season here in Ontario and looking to fill our second tag. Uh, we took a great tom a few weeks back with a recurve, just a, actually the largest tom I've ever taken was just hair over 25 pounds. Um, and we're completing filming our Hunt Ready for Turkey with a stick bow series as well. If you haven't already, check out Compton Traditional Bow Hunters. A great organization ensuring this pursuit with a stick and string is not lost for us and future generations as well. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, The Edge of Instinctive Traditional Archery, and on Instagram at Primrose Stone Archery for some great traditional tips and advice. And until next time, walk with us. Thanks for listening.